This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about continued COVID-19 mask mandates in schools and elsewhere, government finance transparency, road projects, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the latest pension debt calculations and other issues. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Some downstate schools continue to get court protection from being retaliated against by the Illinois State Board of Education, and other districts are gearing up to fight over mask mandates. An Effingham County judge this week continued their temporary restraining order against ISBE on behalf of three school districts that have masks optional. The next hearing is on December 3rd. In Vandalia, School Board Vice President Joe Shaw said they were unanimous this week in returning to mask optional policies. ISBE has vowed to investigate and punish districts for not mandating masks. Shaw anticipates legal costs to defend against that. Our budget is 100000 for our tort, um, so we, we're going to set up a trust. Um, there will be more details to follow, but if you feel necessary, if you feel compelled to donate to the cause, as our legal bills may go over our budget, um, you're more than welcome to do that. School board member Ryan Lewis said their unanimous decision was based on a variety of reasons. COVID-19 numbers are controllable. There are therapies and the vaccines widely available for five years old and up. You know, it's time for us to begin this transition to learning how to live a life with COVID. Um, we have everything we need available to us to offer protection for those that want it. Vandalia will go mask optional Monday, December 6th. As of Thursday, no schools have been put on probation under new rules. Isby was compelled to issue following other litigation from private schools. While many states are ending mask mandates, Illinois remains one of six states with blanket indoor mask mandates. Andrew Hensel has that story. Governor J.B. Pritzker reissued an indoor mask mandate in August to help combat the COVID-19 virus. State Representative LaShawn Ford said even though other states may be doing other things, Illinois is remaining safe. If it provides some protection and if it helps with the overall health of state, then we should do it. We have not found any evidence that wearing a mask has an adverse effect. Republican Representative Adam Niemerg has been against the mandate, and he believes the reason Illinois still has a mandate has more to do with politics over safety. Other states throughout the country, we see we see folks doing it differently. Uh, we see other countries doing it differently, yet in the state of Illinois, it's uh, a purely political. Illinois is currently 11th in the nation in active COVID-19 cases. 
I'm Andrew Hunsell. The Reason Foundation's latest highway performance and cost effectiveness report shows Illinoisans pay for some of the most expensive roads in the country. Researcher Baruch Feigenbaum said Illinois taxpayers spend $123,500 per state-controlled mile of highway, ranking 39th for total spending per mile. I would say overall they're getting relatively bad bang for their buck because there's a relatively high level of spending and also relatively poor pavement conditions. While this most recent report only covers through fiscal year 2019, it doesn't include the doubling of the state's gas tax. Feigenbaum said Illinois needs to get control of the cost per mile so it doesn't repeat New Jersey's doubling of gas tax without improving pavement conditions. It's really important both for the increasing of the gas tax and for the federal infrastructure bill that the state has a process for actually spending that money wisely. Illinois dropped 12 spots in the past five years of Reason's report to 40th overall. A new report says Illinois is one of the least transparent states in the country for reporting government financial information. Kevin Bessler reports. Truth in Accounting created a financial transparency score report for financial reporting by the states. Illinois received a score of 56 out of 100, one of the lowest scores in the country. OpenTheBooks.com founder Adam Angievsky says most states don't report pension liabilities and Illinois' situation is a mess. For a family of four, your share of the Illinois unfunded pension liability exceeds the median income in the state. You owe more to the pensions for public employee promises that were promised but never funded than you make in a year. The scores are worse than previous years, which the report authors say could be due to the COVID-19 pandemic and federal relief funds which presented challenges with audits. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, a new report shows Illinois households are on the hook for $110,000 each for the state's more than half a trillion public sector employee pension debt. And the Republican candidates for governor say they can right the ship. When combining state and local public retiree obligations, WirePoints shows the total number of unfunded liability is $530 billion. Coinciding with their report release, the group held a forum with the four Republicans vying for governor. State Senator Darren Bailey said he filed an amendment to the Pension Protection Clause as a way to spark conversation with workers, not union bosses, and the political elite. It's obvious that uh, 401k plans must uh, must supersede. It's obvious that we have to, uh, you know, we've got to work with a reasonable COLA. We've got to have, obviously, you know, health insurance participation. And Businessman Gary Rabine said the costs are driving up taxes. If these high taxes were actually paying down the, the some of the principal on this debt, uh, that'd be one thing we could talk about. But we're not even paying down any principal. It, it keeps growing. We're not even paying down all the interest on this debt. Former State Senator Paul Schimpf said the problem won't be solved with a silver bullet or magic beans. The number one driver for our pension shortfall is simply the Illinois politicians not making the required pension payments. Schimpf said Democrats at the helm are derelict by overspending on new programs instead of focusing on paying down debts. Venture capitalist Jesse Sullivan said there needs to be a balanced approach in honoring what's been promised, but focusing on solutions for the future. We need to care about our retirees, those who have earned a pension. We need to care about them so much that we make this system solvent. We also have to care about the taxpayers, making sure they're not getting a raw end of the deal moving into the future. Messages seeking comment from the Pritzker campaign were not returned. After earlier in the year pushing to close a variety of business tax incentives he labeled corporate loopholes, the governor's enacted incentives for electric vehicle manufacturers. 
The governor signed House Bill 1796 Tuesday to create the Reimagining Electric Vehicles in Illinois, or REV Act. With this bill, we intend to attract more EV manufacturers, charging station manufacturers, and automotive parts manufacturers more than ever before. And it will help Illinois become one of the leading EV hubs in the entire nation. Though he voted for the measure, Republican State Representative Tom Dimmer said the governor has flip-flopped on how to address the state's unfriendly business climate through incentives. How can I tell the businesses who are looking at this incentive here tonight that it won't be reversed in next year's budget or the budget after that if the governor suddenly decides that instead it's a corporate loophole instead of an incentive to attract businesses? He's done it before. Will he do it again? The REV Act includes tax credits for income tax withholdings, training costs, and investments. And while he supported the bill, Democratic State Representative Mike Halpin said the measure also allows local jurisdictions to abate property taxes for the EV industry, and that could have negative consequences. Who pays that? It's the rest of the taxpayers, the rest of the businesses that don't get these incentives, the rest of the residents that don't get incentives to stay there. The measure is effective immediately. Taxes are back on guns and ammo in Cook County, and some say if it's allowed to stand, it could be coming to a gun store near you. Dan Eldridge, owner of Maxon Shooter Supplies and Displays, said Cook County's tax creates an uneven playing field with neighboring counties. There are people who will say, on principle, I don't want to pay a gun or ammo tax to Cook County, and that's understandable. The county's tax was struck down by the Illinois Supreme Court last month, but the county changed the language and re-implemented the taxes, saying it assuaged the court's concerns. Eldridge says he's staying and fighting the tax to keep it from spreading elsewhere. If they can do it here and they do it in other localities, your fundamental right to keep and bear arms is burdened by this tax. If they can tax a gun at $25 constitutionally, why not $250? Why not $2,500? He said they filed with the Supreme Court to reconsider the constitutional questions and for the tax to not be collected. We believe we're likely to succeed on the constitutionality issues, uh, and therefore it's appropriate for the court to order the county not to collect the tax while this is pending. And the Illinois Lottery has launched its Fast Play Games Online, a move that has some concerned online casinos have come to the land of Lincoln. The Lottery introduced the Fast Play Games in retail outlets more than a year ago. They announced this week Illinois is the first state in the U.S. to sell the draw game online. Players can buy tickets ranging from $1 to $10 and play them instantly through their computer or other device. Illinois Church Action on Alcohol and Addiction Problems Executive Director Anita Bedell said it's troubling. But making them more accessible on it. A, a cell phone or a computer or a tablet at home is just going to increase problems. There are limits. Players can only buy 20 tickets at a time and are limited to how many tickets they can purchase in a 24-hour period. Bedell said that'll do little for those addicted to gambling. On, on the internet gambling, there's just no, not enough controls and, and not enough, enough help to, to keep people from, from losing everything. Those with problems gambling should call 1-800-GAMBLER. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois in Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment powered by the Center Square. Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, based right here in Illinois, joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square. Dan, how are you? Doing well, Chris. Yourself? Doing great. Doing great. We're on the countdown to my favorite holiday of the year, Thanksgiving. No gifts, just food, and there's gravy involved. Nothing to complain about. A week from, exactly a week from today, we're taping this on uh, Thursday, uh, November 18th. Looking forward to Thanksgiving as well. Time with family, extended family for me. Big difference between this year and last year is that there's uh, there's not a, l- a lot of buzz in the state about how we're going to be able to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. There's no um, looming, you know, threats of uh, this, that, or the other. Of course, the if you look at the state's dashboard, or the COVID rates are are increasing, a lot of people have uh, not to say tuned that out, but they've learned how to adjust to life uh, with COVID and doing, you know, frankly, quite well with it. I mean, we are moving indoors, which is causing maybe a little bit of number uh, spiking, but um, for the most part, uh, I think most Illinoisans know the drill at this point. Well, we've been at it for almost two years, so um, you would expect so. But uh, last year there was talk of canceling Thanksgiving, at least right. canceling extended Thanksgiving dinners right. with extended family. Not, not not so much talk about that this year. So that's that's a, that's a positive. Yeah, I view it that way. You know, it's um uh, it's very easy to look at your local circumstances and think that the whole world is you know largely the same way. And uh, that's simply not the case. Uh, Illinois, and and this is a story that was published at the Center Square this past week, Illinois is one of six states in the union uh, that has a continuing uh, mask mandate. There are only six. And only one state that is east of the Mississippi River has such a policy uh, in place, and it's Illinois. So um, why? Why, Dan? I mean, why is it that we're uh, still living under a a mask uh, mandate at this point? Well, there's exactly one reason why, and that's because Governor J.B. Pritzker on his own decided to institute the statewide uh, mask mandate without any legislative input, without a vote from the state legislature. the governor has been uh, dictating since day one of the pandemic uh, how Illinoisans should live their lives, and uh, it continues uh, to this day. So, you know, the, the, the conversation about masks is, uh, I think it's a contentious one. You know, whether they work, whether we should wear them, whether, you know, um, kids should be wearing them in schools. We'll talk about schools in just a second here. Um, what is the, the, uh, governor's policy or, or what has the governor offered with regard to why we are wearing masks now? So, so the governor has been asked numerous times, where is the scientific evidence or the scientific data, um, that masks 
cloth masks, the commercial masks that you and I and everyone else uh, can buy at stores. Um, what is the scientific e evidence um, that they work? And he has not presented any, any, and he has not presented any because there, there really isn't any. Now we're not talking about the, the you know, the hospital grade uh, healthcare worker N95 masks. We're just talking about the, the simple cloth, cloth masks um, that are available at you, you know your, your grocery stores, your WalMarts, your Targets, um, wherever, or, li or literally right on the counter of a restaurant. If you go in and don't have a mask, they'll right. they'll, they'll, they'll give you one. The the, the masks that come in the they'll, they'll get they'll give you a hundred at this point, right? Right. They'll they'll give you a mask to put on while while you walk to your table, so you can take the mask off at your table. Um, of course, that's they're just they're just following Governor Prisker's executive order on that. Don't blame the restaurant uh, no. uh, owner, or the the restaurant workers. Uh, they're just doing doing what they're told to do. So please don't start any of those uh, those verbal conflicts. If, if a business asks you to put a mask on when you're in in their their place of business that they own and operate, please do follow that. Now, I think both you and I do a, do agree that uh, this mask mandate is government overreach. Um, we have not seen any hard scientific evidence that uh, these cloth masks uh, stop the spread of uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. um, um, so it's... I, I, you, you, I think you're. <laughs> I've wandered a bit. I think your original question is what evidence or, or what criteria has Governor Pritzker given as to why he's got the mask mandate in place? And the truth is, his blanket answer is mass work. Take my word for it. Yeah, I inserted the take my word for it uh, there. He doesn't say that, but that's all he does. Mass work. Right. We know that mass. We know that mass work. But he has been asked to provide that evidence, and he's not done it, and it's because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, which I think stirs further controversy about this, and, and it creates it creates confusion. I mean, I was just thinking about, like, you know, to pull this up and outside of um, Illinois for a, for a second. I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh, uh, the Biden administration's had a, a – a tough go of it lately that, that it seems like the gang that can't shoot straight um, is just not working its way out of uh, whatever issues that it has internally. Um, and, and really hasn't, uh, hasn't accomplished a, a tremendous amount externally, uh, you know, per public sentiment. Um, but the white house is maintaining uh, a, a, a mask mandate, you know, for use inside the White House, whereas the District of Columbia, where the White House resides, does not have one. And, and it's kind of it's just for the benefit of just people's understanding. It's it's confusing. And I mean, beyond that, I mean, in, in the last X number of weeks alone, I mean, to bring it back to Illinois, we've seen, you know, our, our, our governor and the Senate president, Don Harmon, and the House Speaker, Chris Welch, on a trip to England, um, not wearing masks in public. And, and, and yet... And, and yet you know, we have we have a mask mandate here in Illinois because masks work. There's no data that says masks work. 
There's no data that says masks, if worn properly, don't benefit you. But the reality of it is we're talking about different kinds of masks, hospital grade, the the N95, and even the KN95, which is like a more of a commercial grade mask. I believe that the KN95, you know, prior to COVID was something that like a, you know, uh, become a, the kind of mask that a, a contractor might wear if they were like working on materials that created dust. Right. Yeah. So, well, so what gives man? I mean, you know, well, how, maybe how, it's how maybe, do we sort this out for the benefit of people's understanding. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not real sure. Maybe it's a, like a boundary thing. Um, when you cross state line and enter into Illinois, your mask is going to work. But when you cross state line into Wisconsin or Missouri or Indiana or, or Kentucky, they, they just stop working. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like maybe you're being a little bit sarcastic and you're tired of talking about this. <laughs> to further, further right. I don't, bl- I, I don't blame you because I am too. And I think anybody who's listening today, either on Illinois Radio Network or on the Illinois In Focus podcast is probably like, yeah, come on, man, let's go. You know, that, that this has just become tiresome and old. And, and yeah, COVID is, 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 is an issue. It remains an issue for, for certain people. And uh, the masks, yeah, okay, all right. It offers some level of comfort. But man, oh man, show me something conclusively that would suggest that the kind of masks that people are wearing and the way that they're wearing them is having some kind of positive net effect. And you know what? I'll wear one. I'll wear two of them. I'll wear one on the back of my bald head. Just to to put it out there. So uh, as you mentioned up top in this conversation, Illinois is the only uh, only state east of the Mississippi River that has a statewide mask mandate. The other five states are Hawaii, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Washington. Even the state of California where Governor Gavin Newsom um, has put some of the harshest restrictions um, in place, even shutting down churches for months and months and months. Um, Even California right now doesn't have uh, a statewide uh, mask mandate. Now, some of the, some of the larger cities in California have their own uh, mask mandates, but statewide in California, they do not. We're going to continue to follow this. We'll try to help you understand what you need to do to stay in compliance with the governor. um, If you want to, I guess it's your call. Dan, um, because it's uh, COVID, let's talk a little bit more about COVID. Uh, Center Square this week had a story on school administrators and there being a concern over a bill that would give administrative time, not sick time, for COVID issues, that is like taken straight from the headline. What does that mean? And what does it, uh, you know, what, what does it mean to those out there trying to make sense of this? Yeah, right. So uh, during a veto session uh, last month, lawmakers uh, overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelming majorities of Democrats uh, passed House Bill 2778. And what that essentially says is if you miss time from work um, for any reason, related to COVID-19, you do not have to um, um, 
and then this is in schools, excuse me, like more, more specific. Yeah. If you, if you miss time, whether it be in the classroom or if you're an administrator, you just, you just can't go to school for a, a period of time, whether it be a day or a week or a couple of weeks, you do not have to use your sick time, um, uh, uh, to get paid for that time away from work, you can use what they call administrative days, administrative days, which is just a, a made up term um, um, that gives unlimited sick time um, to school employees across the state. Of course, okay. there are, of course, there are concerns. Concerns have been raised um, um, about uh, uh, teacher shortages um, if this goes, Governor Pritzker is not, let me clarify, Governor Pritzker has not signed uh, this bill yet, so it is not law um, yet. Um, he, he, uh, he, he hasn't really indicated one way or another um, if he will sign it. I suspect he will. Um, but it, it, uh, it, it, there's been concerns raised that if this does become law, um, that there's going to be significant teacher shortages and um, uh, in some some instances, if 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 a number of teachers um, pile up these administrative days um, in in a specific school, that they're they might have to go to back to remote learning for a period of time. So, what's the burden of proof on this, Dan? I mean, uh, I, I'm a you know I'm a school teacher. Um, I say that I've been exposed to COVID, or you know I actually have COVID. I mean, what what's the what's the burden of proof? I mean, are well, we that, back well, to like that, doctor's notes, like uh, like we're you know in, in school ourselves or what? Well, that's the, the, that's the uh, the big concern and the big unknown. A person can just say, "Hey, listen, I was exposed to somebody um, who had COVID. Don't have it myself, but I was next to somebody um, who has tested positive for COVID. I don't think I can come to work today or tomorrow or the next day." Um, so I'm going to take uh, some administrative time off. There, there, how do you verify that? Now, showing a positive test, showing a negative test—that's you know you you can do that. But if you're exposed to someone with COVID, um, the policies uh, for the past uh, uh, year and a half, almost two years uh, um, now, says you should isolate um, uh, for a period of time and get tested. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know how you you verify that. Uh, if they only wear masks, Dan. <laughs> well, they do in school. <laughs> when oh, in school. oh, okay. they do. Or at least they're supposed to be, according to the governor's uh, executive order. Um, he's of course mandated that students as young as five um, wear masks uh, all day when they're inside school buildings. No, I've seen it myself. That is, in fact, what's going on. And dropping off my youngest one to, you know, for the school day. All the little kids have their masks on at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and they get picked up at three, three fifteen in the afternoon. It's not always the same mask, but they got a mask on, you know, it's they're they're in there. It's, it's they're in compliance. Um well that'll be an interesting story to, to to follow. I mean, what's the you know, where does it go from here? I mean, this is this is just what proposed legislation at this point. This is just a- uh, it's it's passed both chambers by okay. by democratic supermajorities. Um it's on the governor's desk. He has yet to sign it. Um he has I I'm not sure um what the deadline is. He has a certain period of time after the bill arrives on his desk to to sign it or to veto it. Mm-hmm. Um, if he takes no action, it automatically 
um, becomes law. But as I said earlier, I fully expect that he'll sign this, um, given that it was, you know, he's a Democrat. Democratic supermajorities in both the House and the Senate passed it. Um, I would be shocked if he if he vetoed. Yeah, and they, and I mean, and the really who's pushing this? I mean, it, I mean, it, this is the Illinois Education Association that's pushing this, right? I mean, Teacher unions. Teacher yeah. unions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting to know. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Wire points, uh, which uh, you know, a, a really terrific nonprofit that uh, does deep dives in, into economic issues, uh, primarily in the state of Illinois. I think they've started to wander outside the state a little bit and, and do some of the fine work uh, on the research side that they do. And their articulation, I think, is really good. They make complex issues uh, simple, simpler. Uh, the folks over at Wirepoints uh, came out with a report this week um, talking about pension debt. Of course, Wirepoints does deep dives into uh, somewhat complex economic issues, primarily in the state of Illinois. Um their report, their most recent report, suggests that uh, each Illinois household is responsible for about $110,000 of the state's $530 billion in pension debt. Can you break this down for us and help us to explain it? They, they, they I mean, right. the story I think is really is really fascinating. They built a little chart that shows kind of where the debt's coming from. Um, you know right. how they break it into pieces. So, right, what what the state and what most media outlets in the state report is the, the that the state's uh, public pension debt is um, somewhere around one hundred and forty billion dollars. That's still that's still a lot of money. But what Wirepoints did is um, they analyzed uh, Moody's data, and uh, if you add up the state's five public pension systems, the 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 debt. Uh, that they've accrued, you add into it municipalities and other local governments' pension debt. City of Chicago, you know, City of Springfield, and all across the state, you add in their pension debt, and then you also look at uh, public employee retirees' healthcare costs and the debt that's there. It totals five hundred and thirty billion. And if you divide that $530 billion by the number of households across the state, um, you get that $110,000 per household figure. Um, and they do what you mentioned, wire points up front. It's, it's, it's their analysis of, uh, of Moody's data. And um, uh, wire points is a reliable, trustworthy um, nonprofit. Uh, that that as you mentioned does deep dives into government finances, particularly here in the state of Illinois. They've been doing this for a number of years. Their their, their data is always uh, on target, um, and so Illinois residents should be both outraged and scared, frankly, uh, about these figures. One hundred and ten thousand dollars per household. And I mean, it's it's an interesting way to cut it, and I, I really like the way that that you know that Mark Glennon and and Ted Dabrowski, you know, they'll they'll take an, a, a a macro issue, and they'll they'll make it understandable, you know, to you know to somebody who's a, a casual observer or has a casual interest in what's going on at the state level, and, and they do a particularly terrific job on 
you know, obviously on the bond market, but on, on, on their pension research too. I mean, the reality of it is that that $110,000 per household uh, is not just as simple as that. I mean, depending on sort of where, you know, where you are economically, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure there are some people that are listening and like, well, you know what, I really don't have an extra $110,000 laying around, but tell you what, if I could cut you a check for $110,000 right now and be done with it, they would do it. Uh, the issue is, is that's on average. I mean, there are households in Illinois that aren't worth $110,000 in terms of the, of the actual value of, of the, of the property. And uh, um, so, you know, I mean, this is a, it's an interesting way of, of looking at, 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 you know, at, at this problem. Um, did they get into uh, in this in this article? Did they get into solutions to to combat this, or is this simply an articulation of of uh, of, of new research? Interestingly, they, this week they Wirepoints also had um, sort of a, a Zoom. Um, uh, I wouldn't call it a debate, but a Zoom conference of all the Republican candidates. Oh um, yeah, so like a town. Yeah, a town hall. Which that was, that, that was nicely done. Right, yeah, with the Republican candidates for governor uh, who are going to run in the primary, and the winner of that will face most likely face um, Governor uh, J.B. Pritzker, who has announced he's running for a re-election. He does have at least one Democratic primary uh, challenger. But in all likelihood, the winner of the Republican uh, uh, primary next year will face Governor Pritzker in the, in the general election. Uh, but he, he, had them, he had them on uh, this week. Uh, in the town hall style uh, Zoom uh, format, and they, some of them offered some solutions. And one of the one that's been talked about for years is a constitutional amendment, uh, the Illinois Constitution. Um, this is sort of getting into the nitty gritty, but the, the Illinois Constitution currently um, says you cannot um, reduce pension benefits. Um, so there have been calls for years and years and years to remove that clause. Um, uh, from the state constitution because um, uh, because it's essentially the the pensions we offer generous pensions um, very generous pensions to the point where they're unaffordable for taxpayers to our public employee workers another thought was uh, uh, another potential solution is is to stop spending more money on new programs particularly new progressive programs mm -hmm. use every single dollar uh, that the state collects in tax revenues and other fees and things, use every single dollar you can spare to pay down this pension debt instead mm -hmm. of coming up with new progressive policies um, to pay for. Mm -hmm. So there are things that can be done. $530 billion is a whopping amount. Nothing's going to solve that in the next in the next year, the next several years. This is going to be a decades-long problem to fix. But it, that's only going to grow if you don't start fixing the problem. Right, right. So it's about, I guess it would be about tightening, you know, belt tightening, you know, no, uh, number one. And perhaps, I mean, some level of uh, of austerity. And that, that is, does not jibe at all with what we're hearing from this legislature and what we're hearing from this governor. I mean, that is not, it's nowhere, it's nowhere <laughs> close. So what, you know, when, and I mean, I guess I just offer this this question for the benefit of people who 
you know, our, our casual followers and, you know, of uh, what goes on in the, in the state legislature and, and the, you know, the governor's mansion. Um, how do they talk about this debt issue in Illinois and, and what of that has changed, you know, in particular uh, during Chris Welch's tenure as uh, speaker of the house. I mean, of course, Michael Madigan was, you know, uh, speaker for about as long as you and I have been alive. And then now he's moved Michael, on. Michael Madigan reference. Yeah, it's been a while. We used to talk to about him all the time. Yeah, he was, uh, no, he, was, he was COVID before COVID. I mean, you know, as far as it goes that's right. on, the, on this podcast. The, but, the, short, uh, the short answer is uh, it, nothing has changed. Let, lawmakers are not talking about pension um, reform. Um, uh, nothing has changed between this, this, you know, the transfer of leadership power in the House with, with uh, Welsh taking over um, for Madigan. Um, but nothing has happened anywhere in the legislature or in the governor's office when it comes to pension reform. Governor Pritzker attempted to um, change the state's constitution uh, to allow for pro progressive income tax. Um, with where higher earners pay higher rates, our income tax right now is a flat rate, um, uh, with essentially uh, all workers paying just under five percent of the, their income in income taxes um, to the state. Pritzker wanted to change that so higher earners could, if I remember correctly, could uh, could pay would would pay up to nine percent of their income to the state. Voters rejected that soundly um, last year. So they want to solve the problem by increasing your taxes, um, not by looking at other avenues. Uh, going back to the Constitution, um, and I, I forgot, I was searching for the word earlier. It's the dimin diminishment clause. Mm -hmm. uh, the state constitution says you cannot diminish um, uh, uh, workers' um, pension benefits. One of the big problems with, the, with, with how we pay pensions in Illinois is that it's <clears throat> every year um, – uh, an individual worker who's retired who's earning a pension every year, the amount they receive goes up by three percent, and it's compounded. So, just to, to make it simple, um, year one you're getting a hundred dollar a week pension. Now, pensions, of course, are much higher than that. I'm just using the hundred hundred dollar term uh, to sure. simplify it. So, year one you get a hundred a hundred dollars a week because of the three percent compounded. Um, year two you get a hundred and three dollars a week. Mm -hmm. Year three you get whatever 3% 3 is over, on so. top of $103, not on top of $100, on top of $103. And then the year after that, it goes up right. by 3%. And the year by the, after that, it goes up by 3%. Right. And that's just um, unaffordable. Because um, uh, every year, the cost of living, uh, inflation, now <laughs> we're in unusual times right now with inflation uh, skyrocketing out of control uh, 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 this past year, they get this regardless of what the rate of inflation is. Mm -hmm. So even during, um, uh, uh, even during recessions, um, right. they get 3% and 3% and 3%. And that's one of the things some lawmakers or some, some Republicans and, and, and folks like Wirepoints uh, have, have called for changing, uh, maybe, maybe tying uh, those raises to the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to hear, you know, given the, the, the nature of, of uh, economics in the United States and in the world in 2021, what, how that gets discussed next year, uh, on, you know, on the 
floor uh, in Springfield and, and whether there will be a, a push to make an uh, amendment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, um, uh, hey, I want to shift it up a little uh, like not I'm not trying to make a pun, but I guess I will. I don't know if you you actually shift gears in an electric vehicle. I don't believe that you do. I think that they are somewhat somewhat shiftless, which makes them, um, you know, kind of what they are fast and interesting vehicles. Uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, is pretty set on trying to make Illinois like the EV capital of the Midwest. Um, of course, you know, Rivian is here, uh, EV uh, manufacturer. Their uh, initial public offering went live last week. They, when they announced that they were going to file, uh, or when they announced that they were filing an IPO, they had a, 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 an initial target of between $54 and $57 a share. And then the day before that number was moved to about $75 a share. And then by the time that the public had a chance to actually buy it, when the market opened, and I believe it was a, a week ago today, maybe it was last Wednesday, it was Wednesday or Thursday, uh, that you could have uh, bought it, but it was $110 a share, I think is, you know, would have been the first swipe that you would have had to it. And it has since rocketed up to as high as I want to say $180 a share, just underneath that, $179. Wow. And uh, of course, you know, I'm looking at it today. It's getting it's getting uh, kind of kicked in the grill a little bit. It's down to uh, 126.76. So I mean, some people jumped in and, and jumped out, um, but. The the driver of this EV uh, idea here in Illinois is tax subsidy, you know, and um, that was something that I thought that we were as a state, we were getting out of that business. But it does not seem like we are getting out of that business, that we are just simply shifting that business to what would be considered green technology. Yeah, so uh, the legislature uh, uh, passed and Governor Prisker signed um, these incentives, which are essentially tax credits um, for uh, those in the EV business, the electric vehicle business, includes incentives for manufacturers um, who who invest in building um, uh, new plants, things like that. Um, um, it, it also includes uh, tax credits for income taxes for training costs. It, it include it would allow local governments um, to include property taxes or excuse me, uh, property tax credits um, for these businesses. Of course, when you uh, when you give a tax credit for a property tax, all that does is transfer that burden to other taxpayers uh, in the city or community that you're giving a business a tax credit. What's interesting about What's most interesting about this to me is this: this, this is a corporate uh, tax loophole that um, Governor Pritzker himself uh, said he wanted to eliminate corporate tax loopholes early this this year, and in fact did um, through legislation uh, from the legislature. He 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 called them corporate tax loopholes, um, where other businesses and other uh, in, in other industries outside of the EV industry, he closed these tax loopholes, but now he's giving the uh, electric vehicle industry, these 
essentially these same uh, tax credits, tax loopholes, as he called them, um, mm-hmm. that he took away from other businesses. So mm-hmm. he's he's playing favorites um, uh, in the state's economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, one of the more high, you know, the higher profile uh, cases of this or instances of this was, uh, I guess, probably 15 years ago, maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago when we um, out hustled uh, every other city in the country that wanted Boeing and uh, and brought Boeing here to Chicago. Now, I have not spent a lot of time downtown. I mean, Boeing had a pretty um, high profile office uh, down on the on the river. And uh, my understanding is that uh, that that is uh, emptied out, if not emptying out. Um, perhaps you could park some airplanes uh, in, in that office space at this point. How do you keep how do you keep these businesses um, and hold them to account? I mean, that's, I think, the biggest concern, I mean, among uh, among the, the tax paying public is, you know, that the, the idea of, of government getting involved in, in, in creating incentives for companies to come uh, is a slippery slope. It, it, it probably is effective if the company comes and stays and employs a lot of people. But there's no, there are no guarantees. I mean, right over the border um, in Wisconsin, I mean, Foxconn was supposed to build a, yeah. you know, a, a significant uh, facility and employ thousands of people. And that actually was going to have a residual value or residual benefit to people that lived in Lake and McHenry counties, if not, you know, Cook County and other counties where you could commute up Interstate 94 up into Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, they, I mean, and they took houses away from people via, you know, eminent domain and they did everything that they, that they had to do to clear a path for them. And it just has not worked out. Yeah. And there've been studies nationally uh, about these, these, these types of tax incentives. And most of them find that you know, a lot of tax incentives are tied to jobs, right? If you create 1000 jobs with this new project um you you don't have to pay property taxes for 10 15 years i'm just making that that example up but that's how these things generally right um, generally work but study after study um uh the Mackinac center in, in michigan has has done a lot of d- deep dives into this and and what they've found is is that you go back five years, 10 years after these tax credits were, were put into place, you look at what the company promised, what the, you know, the, the state government or the local government promised, and, and, and the vast majority, um, uh, uh, the company gets the tax credit, meaning the costs are pushed on to other taxpayers, but they don't deliver on what they promised, meaning they don't, they don't create a thousand jobs in this, you know, this made up example here. So, yeah. That therein lies the rub with uh, with the EV program is is you know five years from now, ten years from now, are we going to be looking back on this and saying, okay, the state and local governments gave this business um, uh, has, uh, so many so, so much in tax credits? Tax credits are passed on to other taxpayers in the jurisdiction. Um, did the, did the company fall through and deliver what it promised? And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, you can't determine that until years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, staying within the EV space, I mean, I do find that industry fascinating. I mean, you know, the idea of of uh, like I'm a 
you know, I'm, I am a car nerd. I, I freely admit that. And I think it's fascinating that the, you know, the, the power that these vehicles can produce and sheer speed. I mean, there's some questions about, you know, the durability of these vehicles. There's absolutely questions about, you know, their performance and particularly in particular in Northern state <coughs> where we have this uh, season called winter. Uh, where, you know, the battery doesn't fully charge or that the battery's charge doesn't offer, a, you know, the, the, the same, um, you know, the, the same um, uh, duration of usage for the vehicle that it might in the summertime when it's warmer. Um, but beyond that, I mean, in Illinois, uh, there are, I'm sure, thousands of Illinoisans who've never even seen an EV station, like a charging station um out in public and that's because we don't have a lot of them uh that we are ranked according to bumper.com uh, an automobile site 35th in the nation now uh president biden with his infrastructure plan and let me say that for you dan so you can understand it infrastructure <laughs> i guess we're going to get ev charging stations all over the place um but uh you know Governor Pritzker has a plan to get to uh, a million EVs on the road in eight years uh, here in Illinois, a million EVs on the road here in Illinois uh, in, in eight years time. Now we, we talked about Rivian. Okay. Now that's a company that's, you know, hot and happening. Um, my understanding is that they, they don't, they have not produced a vehicle for, for use outside of, the the actual uh i mean the, you know the in the real world you know that somebody could actually the, the, there are not rivians rolling around you know that the general public you know is using so you know this ipo and i think it throws a lot of light on the on the industry fine fine and dandy they're not building they're really not releasing built vehicles that the public can purchase at this point so right, it's so a problem on the manufacturing side and then there's a known issue on the um, on the actual like real world. I got to charge this thing side. So what are we to make of this? Well, it's it, certainly the the objectives are going to be difficult uh, to achieve. Um, for for, for I, and I, let me start by saying I am no electric vehicle expert. I know a little about electric vehicles, and one of the things I do know is that um, you're limited, obviously. But it, you're like in a gas vehicle, you're limited in the numbers a uh, number of miles you can drive um, on a charge, mm -hmm. and um, it's less. It's it's far less than than most gas powered vehicles. And so, if you're if if you're in Chicago and you have to go to Springfield for business, um, uh, and then go back, you're going to need to charge your vehicle. Um, uh, either on the way there, on the way back, or both, depending on your vehicle and how, how how much charge your battery has. And as you mentioned, one, there aren't enough charging stations um, in, in Illinois. Two, it can take up to an hour uh, to charge your vehicle's um, battery. Um, so that's going to change just how people commute, how people travel uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm I'm heading east uh, this Thanksgiving um, to Pennsylvania. <laughs> you can ask my wife and my daughter; uh, they complain about it. I'm like a person. Let's 
we're, we're going to we're going to my mom's house in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we'll make one gas stop, bathroom stop, food stop, or whatever, and then we're they're going to get there. Okay, mm-hmm. in the in the future world of electric vehicles, I, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to have to stop and find a charging station and charge my vehicle, um, which at could least, take at least once, at least once. Um, I mean, because that's a 500 mile trip. So right. I mean, if you if you left with a you know, if you left with a uh, full tank, you know, so to speak, full battery, you know, and you can get a couple hundred, 250, th- even 300 miles on that trip somewhere around, I don't know, the Indiana, Ohio line. So like Toledo, you're going to be plugging that thing back in and taking a nice long break to get to the next, you know, the next segment behind you. Yeah, that's not that's not a, a simple fill your gas tank up um use the restroom and get back in your car and go you're you're going to be there for a while but the reality of it is is that so is everybody else so i mean can you imagine commuting over the thanksgiving weekend i mean even with an expanded infrastructure uh you know plan that's already occurred mapped out think about what the gas station looks like and to think about what you what you would have to do on the on the roadside to ensure that you'd be able to get to your next, the, get the next segment, you know, whether to your destination or to the next charging point, where there are thousands of vehicles that are trying to attempt the same thing on the same day at roughly the same time. Um, I just, I mean, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about this. What, what are these EV stations going to look like? Because, you know, the gas station it's really like almost more like a turnstile, right? Or like a revolving door. You know, you go in, you spin yourself around and you're gone. You know, the filling a gasoline tank, even if you're putting 20 gallons of gasoline in it, takes about five minutes in total transaction time. And then you're done. And then the pump's clear and the next person comes up, they pump, they go. Five minutes later, boom, boom, boom. You would have to have like a, it would look like a drive-in theater parking lot to facilitate the kind of demand that will occur if you, if, if the rest stops, if, unless you're building rest stops on interstates, you know, every what, 15, 20 miles instead of every 40, 50 miles. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be significantly um, different. And, and the way some governors, like Governor J.B. Prisker is, Gavin Newsom, I mentioned earlier in California, are as aggressive as they're being on this, there's just no way. The industry, uh, the consuming public, the folks who buy cars, they're just not ready for it to move that quickly. Um, so it'll be an interesting next, sev- uh, next several years as, as the EV industry tries to beef up production of electric vehicles. And remember, electric vehicles are must, much more costly um, uh, than the normal vehicles. So how are, how are lower income residents going to purchase these vehicles? They're, they're, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're not. I think that that's like the big lie of this whole thing is, you know, I mean, this, this leaves, this leaves the, the middle class and, and, um, and, and lower income earners like completely in the dust, completely in the dust. And if, and if the next wave of this thinking is, to just tax the snot out of fossil fuels to really push people over the transom into EVs. 
man. Yeah. I mean, it's just gonna. I mean, it's so it's like, yeah. I just I don't know. Like I said, I'm a car geek. I, I love I love cars. I don't. I'm not like you know. I'm trying to not be whoever that was in the 1880s who said, oh, you know that horseless carriage is trash. I'm gonna stick with my, you know, I don't know. I don't know horses very well. <laughs> I would probably have some Clydesdales. I would have the Cadillac. I would try to have the Cadillac of, of carriage pulling horses. If I were in that era, I that certainly would, would aspire to that. I don't want to be that person that's going to sit here and go, you know, EVs are dumb. EVs are cool. They're smart. Um, and I think that, you know, for certain people, they match. You know, they, the, 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 they, they cost a lot. They're going to continue to cost a lot because there's a tremendous amount of technology in them. The reality of it is they're not going to be affordable for everybody. And uh, uh, I just don't see us hitting these targets. I think they're goofy. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I see a point somewhere in the future. I, I don't know if it's 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now where a majority of cars, and of course, technology changes too. Who, sure. who knows if something else isn't invented hydrogen. in that time? I yeah. mean, hi hydrogen might be more efficient. We have right. more water than we have virtually anything else on the planet right 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 so it's it's definitely an uncertain future um this aggressive push by governor pritzker is 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 not forward thinking i don't think at this point um but you know we'll see hey we're pushing time um but it is thanksgiving you know in the week ahead and i just wanted to ask you if you had any thoughts about what maybe um you were thankful for I'm thankful that um, on Saturday, my daughter, who is a freshman at a college in Texas, um, been away from us for the first time uh, since August. She's uh, she's coming home for the Thanksgiving break. So I'm thankful that I get to spend um, some time the week, the, the full week with her. A um, little disappointed. My, uh, my son is a junior uh, at a college in Alabama. He is not gonna. He he's in an internship right now, and he mm. he only has Thursday off, um, Thanksgiving Day off. So he is not gonna be able to travel home for the holidays. But we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him uh, over the Christmas break, which is a good three plus weeks. Uh, so I'm definitely thankful for for my family. How about you? Well, I'm absolutely thankful for my family. I'm I'm you know, but this is going to be our first year where our, our oldest isn't going to be with us for Thanksgiving, or at least I think it is. Uh, I don't remember any others where we haven't uh, been together, and that's just a, a factor of kids growing up and taking on more responsibility and being out of state and living their own lives. Um, beyond that, I mean, I would say you know I'm thankful for the group that we have at the Center Square uh, and at Illinois Radio Network. I think you all do a tremendous job. The media needs you. Uh, what you're doing is fantastic. And um, just love to see what you guys uh, uh, do to, to grow and be more valuable uh, every day. Thank you. Um, definitely looking forward to the holiday, spending some time with families. But we will still have uh, the Illinois and Focus. We'll be recording the Illinois and Focus podcast this week. So if you're listening to us now, we will have a new episode next week. Yeah, I look forward to that, getting together. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week.
Next week, the team from the Center Square will look into how much more this Thanksgiving is going to cost in food, travel, and holiday shopping. We'll also start to look at races starting to form for state house and statewide elections. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.